Grace, mercy, and peace belong to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus. Amen. Today we want to uh, discuss, focus on, devote our attention to these words of the Gospel lesson in which Jesus feeds the 5,000. Um, it's printed on pages 8 and 9 in your service folder. You can kind of keep it out. We'll refer to it. By this time, this is verse 35, it was late in the day. So Jesus' disciples came to him. Jesus, this is a remote place. They said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. The disciples said to him, that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we supposed to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. And when they found out, they said, five, and we have two small fish. When Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men, men who had eaten was 5,000. These are the words of God. In the name of Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life, Jesus Christ, by whom and through whom everything in earth was created. And in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our merciful and compassionate God and desires that you and I and all people receive their daily bread, my dear Christian friends. I know a lot of people are cutting the cable cord, but are you guys generally familiar with the show Chopped? You know what this show is? Cable show? If you're unfamiliar with the show Chopped, it is a, a food game show in which there are four contestants who are basically vying for a cash prize. And of course it's a food show, so you have to cook something. And there are three you know, dishes. You have to make an appetizer, and you have to make an entree, and you have to make a dessert. And if your dish is unsatisfactory to the three culinary experts, you get chopped. In other words, you're out of the game. And the other people advance and in, in, in you're a loser. But there's a catch. They don't tell you the ingredients that you have to cook with. So they set a timer right when you open up a picnic basket and discover, oh, I've got to cook with this. And the stuff that they put in the basket is weird. You might open up a picnic basket and you say, oh, look, it's an ostrich loin. It's habanero peppers. It's passion fruit. And it's rutabaga. Now go, the timer's on, 30 minutes, and you have to incorporate these weird elements into a dish that's in an appetizer, an entree, and a dessert, and make it taste good so that you can pass on and win the cash prize. Uh, you, if you haven't seen the show, the stuff that they come up with, the creativity, the artistry, the inventiveness, and the tastiness of the dish is judged by the judges, the culinary experts. It, it's <laughs> How they make these things go together is almost miraculous. Now, we read our text, and there's food involved, but maybe that's the end of the comparisons. There's not, you know, 
four contestants, there's 12 disciples, there's not three culinary experts, there's 5,000 hungry men. There is no game show, there is no cash prize, but there are two surprise ingredients. Five loaves of barley bread and two small fishies. You know, in the parallel account of the feeding of the 5,000 in John, John's Gospel, John quotes the disciple Andrew, who sizes up the, the scope of the problem when he said, but how will so little go to serve so many? Maybe you're thinking what I'm thinking. I think we need a miracle. Well, that's not going to happen from the 5,000 hungry men, and it's not going to happen from the 12 disciples either. But Jesus was there, and he's the bread of life. Jesus was there. And by him and through him, everything that we see was created. Jesus was there, and he is our compassionate and merciful Savior, and he deeply desires that every human thing, we sang it in the psalm, you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. And that's not just human, that's animal and everything else. As long as Jesus was there, he was going to be able to do a miracle, because Jesus Christ is true God. What we want to discover today is not that Jesus did a miracle, because that's obvious. In fact, this miracle is only one of two miracles that is recorded in all four Gospels. The only other miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels is Easter. And this. That Jesus did a miracle is recorded by everybody. We're going to take that for granted. What we want to understand is why did Jesus do the miracle? And we'll discover that Jesus does the miracle. He, he has a physical, the miracle was a physical means, providing them with food was a physical means to a spiritual end. When you ask the question, why did Jesus do the miracle? I mean, this is a legitimate question because it's not because there wasn't other opportunities or avenues, right? Now, recall that this is kind of a piggyback or the carryover from what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. The disciples, you know, were all gathered there. They had taken a boat right across the, the Sea of Galilee, and they came to this remote place, and the people were there waiting to meet them. And Jesus had compassion on them and was teaching them for the better part of the afternoon. But the disciples stopped Jesus early enough in the afternoon and says, Hey, it's getting late, Jesus. Send all these people away, and then they can go get food. They did that to Jesus. They stopped his teaching early enough in the afternoon or early evening to say, you got to let these people go home. They were, they, they were in a remote place, but if we leave now, they can certainly find food and lodging. You can imagine the shock on the disciples' face when... Jesus disagreed with their logical, what they certainly thought was a logical and reasonable explanation as to how all these people were going to get fed. Jesus said, no. And the emphasis in the Greek is here on the word you. You give them something to eat. Well, I'll tell you, if I were one of the disciples, that would catch me off guard. I'm going to give them something to eat. <laughs> how? Do you see all these people? We're in a remote place. It's not like they got food service nearby. In fact, the disciples objected and said, eight months' wages. 
you know, two-thirds of a year isn't enough money to be able to provide, you know, enough food for all these people to eat. The disciples kind of balked and scoffed and objected. Look, maybe it had to do with the fact that the disciples had kind of recently been through a gauntlet. They had been on preaching tours with Jesus, three of them. They were supposed to be on vacation with Jesus, going across the boat. They had just seen John the Baptist beheaded. They were kind of stressed out and burned out. And they were supposed to be on a little bit of a respite with Jesus. And then Jesus interrupted their vacation. You know, I, here's the people. How can I not take care of them? Maybe the disciples feel, felt a little bit embittered that their so-called vacation with Jesus got disturbed or interrupted and now Jesus was helping people again. And maybe the disciples had selfish motives in mind when they said, send all these people away and have them go figure out where they're going to eat and lay their head at night because really what we want is to resume our vacation with you. Nevertheless, the disciples thought that they had made a reasonable and a plausible explanation. And when Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat, they translated Jesus' command, suggestion, whatever. They translated this as, Jesus, you're being irrational and ridiculous. It's not logical. How are we supposed to give them something to eat? In fact, they might just well have said, you know, Jesus, if you really are serious that you expect me to give them something to eat, I think I'd rather be chopped. The Bible explains that this was a challenge that Jesus extended to them. Remember in our first lesson from Exodus, God gave them a test with the manna to see if they would quit their bitter complaining and grumbling and trust in God. Here, the same thing is occurring. God is giving them a test when he says, you give them something to eat. God is giving them, Jesus is giving them a challenge. Well, what kind of challenge could this be? Is it a physical one? Is it a mental one? Is it an intellectual one? Is it a reasonable one, a rational one? The disciples had already made a rational suggestion. Send the people away to the nearby towns. That makes good sense to us. But Jesus rejected that and said, no, you give them something to eat. What? Here? Now? How? Jesus' challenge wasn't really mental or intellectual or rational or earthly at all, was it? It was a spiritual challenge. Now, you keep in mind that these disciples, this is late in Jesus' ministry. They had been with Jesus two and a half years, maybe three. They're going to leave from here, go down to Jerusalem, and then the Passover is nearby and Jesus is going to suffer and die. The disciples had been tutored and schooled by Jesus for maybe two-thirds, three-fourths of the time they were going to be near him. Plus, they had just been sent out on missionary journeys. Plus, they had just listened to Jesus do like an afternoon seminar for all these people at an extended time. And now here is Jesus taking the pulse. you have any faith at all, boys? you have any? You've been following me for nearly three years. You've been out witnessing in my name. You're just here listening to me again this afternoon. I wonder if you really believe what you're talking about. I really wonder if it's that or if it's just lip service. You honor me with your lips, maybe your hearts are far from me. You give them something to eat was Jesus' way of saying, what seems impossible for men is always possible with God. And here I am. You've confessed it yourselves. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah who's come in God's name. You've said it yourself. If you really believe that, 
then this challenge would be to depend and rely on Jesus, the Son of God, to solve the challenge that he was there providing. Do you sometimes wonder if in your own lives this is the same challenge that God extends to you? How many sermons have you heard in your life? How many times have you opened up and read your Bible? How many Bible studies and Bible classes have you been through? I mean, it varies depending on how old you are and when it is that you came to faith. But if you translated the time that you've spent in church and Bible study into like, you know, we'll say college credits, we should all have a master's degree in theology. But what good is the diploma that's hanging on the wall if you don't really believe it? What happens when God asks you to apply faith to your life? When, you know, you look and the bank book looks a little thin. Or when your health, which heretofore has been pristine, is a little shaky now. When the daily bread supply is not as lavish as once it was. When you feel as though, like the disciples, you're in a deserted place and maybe there's no way forward. Look, the opposite is just as true. In fact, the opposite is probably far more dangerous. What happens when God gives you so much in your life, so much, you have way more than you'll ever use in three lifetimes? Do you really think that you're depending and relying on God, or do you think you're really the one who attained all that. God's challenge here is not an earthly one. It's not a mental one. It's not a rational one. God's challenge to the disciples then is the same one that he extends to you and me on a daily basis. It's a spiritual one. And it might as well say, do you really believe in me? Do you really depend on me? Do you really trust me? I'm true God. And there isn't anything that is impossible for me. Well, then there's Jesus who said to the disciples, why don't you go and make a search and find out what kind of rations we really have? And so the disciples went around and they found a little boy who had a little snack. That's what he had, like a lunchbox. And so they went to the boy and they opened up his little Superman lunchbox. And what did they find inside? Five loaves of barley bread. Now, you need to understand, this is not bread made from wheat. That would actually be like a real snack. Barley bread was the kind of thing that only the most poor of the poor would have. Barley bread. The old rabbi said that doesn't really even count as food. Two small fish. Now, when you think small fish, don't think like catch and release. You know, it doesn't meet the 18-month, 18-inch uh, requirement. We've got to toss it back. When it's two small fish, you should think sardines. That's what they had. When the old Jewish rabbis talked about this text, they said, this is a real debate in, like, church history. They debated, this was so meager, it doesn't even amount to, like, a real snack in the afternoon. In fact, we're not even completely convinced, the rabbis are saying, that you even need to say grace because there's not enough like food there to be thankful for. This is what they had. Five 
loaves, loaves of barley bread, which is the sort of thing you don't even feed to your dog, and two sardines, a little salty snack that just kind of gets the fishermen through the watch of the night. That's all. And Jesus took these meager rations, which in our hands wouldn't even carry us over until breakfast. And he started breaking it apart. And the Bible says he gave it to the disciples. And the disciples had arranged and organized all the people in groups of 50s and 100s. And Jesus miraculously multiplied this like nothing. And he made it go to feed all of the people in that remote place on the hillside. And the Bible goes far, far out of its way as if to say, not only was everyone, were everyone fed miraculously, but they had so much food that they were not hungry anymore. They were satisfied. Like it was like a, a real meal, seven course. Jesus took these meager elements, the bread and the fish, and he fed more people than they feed at McHale Center for a U of A versus UCLA basketball game. And I might say he sent those people away even more satisfied than if the U of A won. Afterwards, he sent the disciples around and they picked up 12 basketfuls of food. What is this but a gracious God who can take five barley loaves and two fish, and he can have more food at the end than when he started in the first place and have fed maybe 20,000 people. This is God. This is God. Why? Why does God do this miracle? The people could have gone into town. They could have left and gotten fed. They were going to be hungry again the next morning, and Jesus was not going to be around to, like, multiply bacon and eggs. Why does he do this miracle now? What's the point? What's the reason? Because those 5,000 men, together with all the other people, were there. You know why? They were there because they wanted to see Jesus do tricks and miracles and signs. They wanted him to heal the poor. We just sang this in hymn 520. It's perfect as far as the themes that we're talking about today. They wanted to see Jesus do, you know, heal diseases. Hey, we got kind of like a magician and he makes us feel better. But they had not yet believed that Jesus was the Messiah. You know what that means? It means that as far as God's eternal plan of salvation goes, they were chopped. They weren't going to get it. So why did Jesus do the miracle? Because he had great compassion on their bellies? Well, yes, to a point. But it was a physical means to a spiritual end. They were going to get hungry again. Jesus did the miracle to demonstrate, I am the Son of God. Jesus did the miracle to illustrate, there is only one Messiah and Lord, and that's me. I am the only begotten Son. God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, and I'm going to be the one who runs down the road from Galilee down to Jerusalem to lay down my life on the cross. You need to know that. You need to know that I'm more than a miracle worker that just, you know, helps people walk again or unstops their ears. That's all well and good and fine. But if you don't believe in me as the Son of God, you're going to be chopped not just off the food table or from the hospital. You're going to be chopped out of God's eternal heaven forever. 
Jesus didn't want that for people. God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, the Bible says. In the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, he said, I don't take delight in the death of sinners. I want people to turn from their sinful ways and live. This is God, not just feeding the body, but providing the physical miracle so that they would all understand this is someone divine. 5,000 hungry men can't do that miracle. God's 12 apostles and disciples, they can't do a miracle. But when Jesus multiplies the loaves and fishes, there is no one, there is no one who could do that except the Son of God, and he's standing among us. He did the physical miracle so that they would put their faith and their trust in him and depend on him both for their daily bread and for their heavenly bread. Jesus, the bread of life. And in short, that's the reason why God not only does every miracle, but that's why God gives you and me daily bread. You know as well as I do, he doesn't owe it to us. And you also know as well as I do that he's given all of us so much, so lavishly, that we would have enough for three lifetimes. We would. In the first lesson, God said, I'm going to give you the manna to test you so that you will acknowledge that I'm the Lord. In the gospel lesson, Jesus tested them so that you will acknowledge that I'm the Son of God and the Messiah. In our second lesson, Jesus said, I'm going to give you lavishly. So out of my generosity, you in turn can be moved and motivated to be generous with your neighbor so you can help the poor, so they can support the church with their offerings, so that you can give away. You know, the concept is that we supply and are generous and give away with the same kind of generosity with God because we trust that God is always going to take care of me. He is always going to give us, as our second lesson said, more than we need. And if we help and support and supply our neighbor and the church and whatever other charity we like, we're always going to give more because I rely and depend on God. And if God gives to me extra, extra much, then I will be extra, extra lavish with whatever God gives me. And I will trust and rely and depend that I will be fine and God will always give me more. You know why we're generous with people? Same reason why God wants to be generous with you and me. He doesn't want us to be chopped out of God's plan of salvation. I'm generous with you so you understand where sin increased, grace increased all the more. I've washed away your stinginess. I've washed away your doubt or your denial. I've washed away your materialism or your greediness. Jesus paid for all that on the cross. Now you know how generous I am with you. You're not chopped. You made it to the finish line. Your name's written in the book of eternal life. Now you, with heartfelt faith and trust and dependency on me, you go and be generous with your neighbor so that they might then draw the same faith-filled conclusion as you, that only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.